Hello, I'm your host Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Banderflix Movie Review Podcast. Since it's the end of the year, I thought I'd catch up with two of Banderflix's regular contributors to see what they thought have been the cinematic highs and lows of 2017. So we'll kick off our end of year review show as I caught up with Neil Sedgwick from Films and Faith. Neil has been a regular in both the podcast and TV show for many years now. And I thought I'd sit down and chat with him to see what have been his cinematic highlights of the past 12 months. This is the correct time. Not the one on your phone or on the computer. Not even on the news. It was my mother's. Your great-grandmother's. Perfect timekeeping for over a hundred years. Come Pick up your rucksack. I don't want your father to think I'm keeping you in a pigsty. Not much chance of that. Now, when you go to the hospital, your father may not notice how tired your mum is getting, okay? So we have to make sure that he doesn't overstay his welcome. Not that that's historically been a problem. No eggs. You've already had eggs twice this week. If you get hungry, there's spinach in the fridge which you can steam. Yeah, sure. Don't touch anything. I'll do my very best not to. So that's a clip of A Monster Calls, and uh, I'm joined now by Neil Sedgwick from Films and Faith via Skype. Neil, we're going to be talking just generally throughout this podcast. We're, we're speaking to some of our contributors about the, the, the year that's been, looking at their, some of their favourite films. So I've, I've asked you to, to, to pull together a top ten. I haven't asked mm. you to give me your order or your top film of the year so far. I know you've mentioned that uh, A Monster Calls is, is in there. That's why we've played the clip. Generally, Neil, how have you felt this year's been at the cinema? I have been in equal parts frustrated and elated at the same time. I think it's been a really, really good year, but I find myself this year being really frustrated by um, the relentless superhero uh, motif that we get in our multiplexes at the yeah. minute. And I, I am struggling to have the will to engage anymore with with superhero films, which is a big which is a big thing for me to say because I love I I love them, but it's just become a relentless treadmill of film after film after film, and knowing that it doesn't really matter what happens in this one because there's three more to come after and that type of thing. I will say this going forward, I am very excited about the Black Panther, but okay. as a general rule. Nothing Marvel has done this year has really wowed me. Not even the trailer for Infinity War wowed me. Okay, because it was it was just people running into each other, and I, you know, it's great to see them all. You can have that wee nerdy bit where you go, "That's really great to see them teamed up like that." Ooh, Captain America has a beard. Everybody lost their mind that Captain America had a beard. Look, he's and, just he's just become a hipster. Look, uh, you know, I was looking back at photos of me from a couple of years ago. I didn't have a beard, <laughs> but uh, I, I I I to an extent agree with you neil um where the comic book movies are you know don't get me started in justice league this podcast is too short for me to to go on and just you know lose my soul and lose my will to live by talking about justice league i will say this though there is a light in the darkness and it is one of my films in the year of the year and it's wonder woman Mm -hmm. because although it didn't necessarily do anything um groundbreaking in terms of telling an origin story 
it did it in a way that felt really fresh and it did it in a way that really made me want to see more and more of that character and um and things like that so i think wonder woman is the exception to the rule this year it is the one that has made me go that was really well done really interesting and let's have more of that uh patty jenkins gal gadot combo please yeah totally agree look as as i said in the review when i when it came out it and and you've kind of you've mentioned it there it doesn't do you anything remarkable it's it's rather unremarkable but it's it's a film that has heart and soul it's a film that i think the key thing that it does and probably the most remarkable thing that it does and i feel really bad saying that when you think about the year that's been with the stuff with harvey weinstein and and the way in which you know women uh, sometimes and and some films particularly like i'm not comparing the two it's just kind of the way my rambly brain works particularly if you compare with her portrayal in wonder woman to her portrayal in justice league wonder woman at no real point throughout that film is objectified gal gadot is a beautiful a stunningly beautiful woman i i'm speaking here as a red-blooded male I, I i openly admit that and i sound a bit weird saying it particularly in the context of the harvey weinstein stuff but she is never objectified throughout that film she is never there, there's no kind of michael bay-esque shot just focused and fixated on her derriere i'm you know you can look back at previous podcast with me talking about Suicide Squad and Margot Robbie, how that camera is fixated on her derriere. We don't get that. And she's a strong she's a strong woman, but she's also a woman. And I know that sounds like a really stupid thing to say. It's one of those things that, that makes sense in my head, but maybe when it sounds when it's coming out it's a bit gobbledygook. And there's a scene in that film that anytime I watch it always makes me smile. It's where they're they're walking through London with Chris Pine and she's like, to war, let's go to war. And she turns around, oh, look, a baby. And it always makes me smile. Yeah, I went off on a kind of kind of la resistance kind of rant there. <laughs> I, I apologize. No, I think you're I think you're right. I think her beauty in that film comes from her strengths, from her character um, and from the power she holds and, and wields, not from a camera telling you, oh, look at that. No, there's a- yeah. When we see that in, in Justice League, so yeah. many there's so many low angle shots looking up, and I know Margaret McGoldrick when she was on the TV show, she she brought this up. She said, "Look, whenever she was watching Wonder Woman, it was never clear that Gal Gadot was wearing a thong, but yet in Justice yes. League we get low angle shots fixated on her bum, and you can clearly see, oh, old gal, she's got a thong on, and that's you know maybe now speaking as a 35 year old man." I've moved on from that kind of that that teenage lust that maybe was there at a certain point, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. Wonder Woman, it, it it is a really it's a really solid film. Um, but for me, the comic the the film that I see of comic book movies for me this year is Logan. I, I've talked about it with other members on this podcast. I've talked about it to anybody who'll listen. It is is possibly I will not reveal until uh, later on on the website what my film of the year is, but it's up there. Logan's up there. Mm. Because it was just everything I wanted as a comic book fan, comic book nerd, geek, whatever you want to say, and as a cinema goer who's 35, who's not 15, who's not 16, I could go watch a film that had edge, that had violence, that had gore, and it also told an interesting, engaging story, and also Patrick Stewart swore. That's (laughs) But anyway, that's it. Which is disarming the first time you hear it. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah but it is it is logan's up there i've, I've said it before yeah. i'll say it again it's up there as one of my films of the year because it was just that film i had my expectations of what it was going to be and james mangold just completely surpassed it and yeah. i said it at the time i said it to jonathan cardwell at the time when we left the cinema flawless i'll maybe accept begrudgingly there's a few <laughs> little flaws in in logan but it was just everything i wanted it to be and uh, yeah. hey let's not i i agree with you i'm the person who's wrote an article in the past about saying he was suffering from comic book fatigue so let's not fix it there's more to cinema than comic book movies you've mentioned yeah. um a monster calls yeah i haven't seen it but i intend to watch it i have it on dvd i just haven't got round to watching i know through the subject matter um mm -hmm. my my partner um the lovely miss amber my fiance the only reason why we haven't got around to watching it is because her mum's been going through cancer treatment and we just mm -hmm. thought it might just be too on the bone. So yeah. we just said we would leave it. But it is a film, it's a film I fully intend to watch. Yeah, it's it's a really, really wonderful film and it's um, heartbreaking and it's, it, it's a funny one because the first thing to say is I don't think enough people saw it when it came out. Yeah. Um, and I think it may have been a case of being missold by trailers once again as to what this actually was, because it appears to be some kind of almost funny. We're talking about comic book, some kind of fantasy comic book boy with an imaginary friend who's a gigantic tree. Um, and, you know, but it's actually a really tender film about um, a, a child who is hurting, a child who is being bullied and a child who is is suffering from from loss and that um yeah it when i watched it in the cinema the the final kind of few scenes that final movement i was completely broken um mm. and it was it, it's wonderful and that's why it it is a tough watch but i think it's a great watch and i think if you can get to a place where you you can you can deal with something like that and be prepared to sit and watch it and then definitely check it out it, it has really stayed with me and it's something that was out fairly early in the year mm -hmm. um which a lot of my kind of picks from this year were actually um it, it, you know and that's a testament to how good some of those films were like the likes of silence and moonlight would be up there for me okay. um and i i really enjoyed both of those and then I, I do I do have other things. I talked on a previous podcast about my love for the Red Turtle, so I'll not go over that again. But animation had a bit of a of a great year as well. There was My Life as a Courgette, which is really, really good. Um and then there's other little oddities in there, like a ghost story. And then I have kind of opposed that I have big budget things. Like I really liked War for the Planet of the Apes and I mm -hmm. really enjoyed Blade Runner 2049 which is as great a cinematic experience, I think, as you can have this year. Yeah, totally uh, agree. And so it's been a really, really good spread. I found myself across kind of the more independent films to big blockbusters and enjoying something all along the way, as well as an, another one to throw in is a documentary that um, Connor Smith recommended to me, which was the work about... Um, therapy in a in a male prison and it oof, it's it's incredible um it was on the iPlayer there for a while because they showed it as mm -hmm. part of that Storyville thread but I think it may have dropped off there but um 
if you can find the work, it's called, I think the full title is The Work, Four Days to Redemption. And it's just basically people from the outside, a room full of prisoners doing therapy and dealing with um, their hurts over over these four days. And it really is just an incredible an incredible documentary and um, so there's a little bit of everything i suppose in my in my choices um i i don't like kind of ranking things um too much um i think probably at the at the top end of that moonlight and the red turtle would be two exceptional things i've seen this year um but yeah i, th- I think it's been a really really strong year overall yeah, I I agree with you. Like you've mentioned a lot of films there. Going back, like <laughs> exactly. like no, you're okay. Like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I adored again. A bit like Logan, it was everything I wanted it to be. But I was the person who, up until walking into that cinema and sitting down in my seat, was the person who said we didn't need a sequel to Blade Runner. We really yeah. didn't. Um, and I've said, and I will probably say to, I've said before. I've said on this podcast that Blade Runner 2049, the the beauty of of how it works is when we think of Ridley Scott's original, the amount of tinkering he did with it, it wasn't just a sequel to one film. There was five or six kind of variants. There's the director's cut. There's the final cut. There was the original cut. There was the kind of the stuff that was test screened for a while. It's a sequel to all of those films. It's a Mm. sequel that works, as I said, at the time on the on the TV show, and as I said in my review, uh, like it handles the Deckard question in a really intelligent, thoughtful way that I just didn't think it would, I, and I don't think it would have been handled that way had Ridley Scott been at the helm as a director. Look, I know Alien Covenant has had its haters out there. I, I like Alien Covenant. I like Ridley Scott, but I think it's a good thing that he's only exec producing this time rather than directing, because I think had he directed, I think that Deckard question would have been, right, this is what I think, this is my belief on, on Blade Runner, this is how I, this, it's my film and I'm going to do with it, and this is the Deckard, he is a replicant. So in Blade Runner 2049, Deckard is a replicant. But what mm. Denis Villeneuve does, and as I said it, and apologize for my probably numerous attempts to try and say this, Neil, what uh, Dennis Villeneuve does really, really well, he treats that situation like a Schrodinger's cat. Mm. He, he, he is a replicant. He can be a replicant. He can be human. He, he can be ever whatever what you want him to be. However, you read that film, he can be both. At, he can be either or, or he can be both at the same time. And I think that's why it works so well. Um, you've mentioned the ghost story. Film I've toyed with in my own list. Um, I liked it. I've seen it twice. Uh, first time I seen it, I didn't like it. Although there is a little scene near the end of that film that that has stayed with me. Um, I know I, talking to you at the uh, for the the Christmas list guide, Neil. I talked about in you know the Great Gatsby the, that scene. Mm. The Gatsby believed in the green light. How it stayed with me. How it still stays with me and pops into my head. There's a little scene in a ghost story. And it's it has stayed with me since I watched it. It's a little scene that that broke my heart when I seen it. it just involving two ghosts, and it just involves yes. some. Well, I, I guess they're not. I guess he's not coming, and it broke my heart. Again, <laughs> no dialogue is spoken in that 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 piece. The, yeah. the whole the whole piece around a ghost story. I do, I do have brought. Like I mean, there is a what feels like twenty twenty five minutes. I know it's only like three minutes where we watch Rooney Mara <laughs> eat a pie. And the the second time 
I get it the first time round when you watch that first time round, I just find myself really frustrated. I think it's a really brave piece of filmmaking. I don't necessarily love it. I don't hate it. It's a film I think it's one of those dreaded I need to be in the mood for it. And I've I've said before, yeah. if I was watching at home on TV, there's a chance, particularly through that Rooney Mara piece, it would be yeah, let's just see what films O four is on. Oh, let's see ITV <laughs> Family Guy's on, boom. And finish the episode of Family Guy, switch it back. Oh, she's deleting the pie. Put it back to ITV two. Um, yeah, it's it's a brave film. It, 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 I I like it. I feel like I should like it more, but I find myself still having problems with it. But hey, I'm the person that this year that has loved the weird side of cinema, that has loved stuff like Mother. I adored Mother, and I sat in a cinema, a bit like a ghost story, and watched audiences member actively hate the film. Actively, <laughs> I haven't seen Mother at all. It's one that I need to catch up with. I do think Neil... I can't, I, you can't be, I can't judge. I, anybody I've recommended it to, bar one person, has come back and absolutely hated it. It's bombastic. It's out there. It's the first film I've seen in a long time. I know Mark Kermode talks about this. The, the kind of the idea of the the director auteur, where you know that that kind of project, that idea is gone. It's done and dusted. Where we think of a director, a sole kind of vision, and that is him. It, it is his sole vision. With Darren Aronofsky and and Mother, I believe that is probably the most auteur film you will see on screen in 2017 it is his piece his vision it's weird it's bombastic the whole way through i watch that film i go why is this an 18 certificate why is this an 18 certificate the last 15 minutes right okay that's why it's an 18 <laughs> no, I get it. it's it's a film that explores like it, it might be completely up your street name because it, it is a film that explores the idea of faith and how faith and how how it's perceived and how it sometimes can be manipulated by people and uh, it, I, I just think in a year of of kind of box so many films that have felt like box ticking exercises it's the films that felt individual that felt different that have stayed with me and left an impact upon me now the one other film that you mentioned which I think we had I think we had the polar attitude uh, polar different attitudes too I think with silence I could it's the idea of that kind of auteur of passion projects. I just felt the silence. I just, honestly, I'm someone who loves Martin Scorsese and I don't just love the Scorsese gangster stuff. Like, I mean, I love King of Comedy. I love Bringing Out the Dead. I love The Passion of Christ. But I don't know. There was something about silence and I think it might be something as fickle as possibly the accents of the two <laughs> actors. I felt it was a passion project by someone and I think it's not a bad film, not by any means. I think there's a lot of amazing, amazing scenes that remind me of kind of the, the kind of the classic auteur, the classic you know Bergman, uh, yeah. that that kind of that kind of approach to cinema. But I just think it was just a little too long. And Liam Neeson, just his final appearance, he's up there with Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now as anticlimactic final appearances <laughs> i just I, I think that that's the I thing you mean, yeah yeah it's it's not a film again i'm sitting here just just kind of nitpicking at films i'm not sitting going no Neil, i completely disagree it's not like if you pick like a will ferrell comedy like daddy's home too to be like your films of the year i'm not going out 
I just have issues, and I think that's a nice way. I think just to be nitpicky at stuff. Is there anything else there on your list, Neil? Before uh, I shall move on to another Banterflix contributor. I think the only thing I didn't actually get to was Dunkirk. Did yeah. I mention Dunkirk? No. Um, which, again, I more and more I'm becoming a, a Christopher Nolan just fanboy. And welcome to the club. Dunkirk is, I think it's one of those films that will be best served. Uh, cinematically rather than yeah. at home um, for scale and for sound and for to get the full impact of it but I again it's it's I sound like I'm repeating myself but it has stayed with me scenes from that film play in my mind on a on a fairly regular basis like Tom Hardy just gliding across mm-hmm. um, yeah well I, I agree like this isn't stuff and it's yeah it's it's a hundred percent one of the one of the best things I've seen this year. I agree. I've seen it twice. I also have have bought it to to watch. I think it's one of the films we'll probably be watching over Christmas um, with with the folks because I know my mum wanted to see it, but it just didn't come down to me. I mm. seen it on thirty five mil, and then at the Odeon. Of course, other cinemas are available. Like, how did you see it? Because the big thing with Dunkirk was the formats we had: seventy mil, thirty five mil, DCP. Yeah. What did you see it on, Neil? I saw DCP at the Odeon okay. in Belfast um, on one of their huge screens there. Huge. Um, huge. Yeah. Uh, I saw it on... No, I saw it twice. I did see it twice. So, yeah, but it was DCP both times. Yeah. It wasn't um, 35 mil or anything. So, um, yeah, but I, you know, for, for the brilliance of being able to have that choice of formats... I don't know, having not seen a 35 mil print of it, if you if you feel you, you've gained anything more by seeing it that way, but it didn't feel, um, you know, uh, DCP like it lost anything, like it was too clean or anything like yeah. that. It, um, it's funny, Battle of the Sexes recently had a very 70s aesthetic to it. When you watch it, you, it, feel, it felt very of that period the way it was shot i think it was 35 mil possibly mm-hmm. it was shot on and um yeah to watch dunkirk on 35 would be a would be a very interesting thing to do but i still was deeply impacted by it just printed yeah i i agree it, it's one of those films when you watch it on different formats and i sound like a bit of a nerd now it is <laughs> it is like watching two different films to an extent now i didn't go as far as I did, because I am a Nolan fanboy, and I am a kind of, I'm, I'm someone. If you can get to see something in 35 mil, take that opportunity. Um, I didn't go as far as I did with Interstellar, where I went down to Dublin to see it on 70 mil, 35. I seen it on 35 mil. I seen it on 70 mil, and I seen it on DCP. Mm. I didn't go as far this time with Dunkirk, but I will say this: when you watch it on 35 mil, if you ever get a chance to see it again. It is a very, It felt like watching an an old war movie. Well, when I watched mm-hmm. it on DCP, it felt much more like a blockbuster, because you know it's it's a picture perfect image each time you watch it with a DCP. But if you're watching a thirty five mil, you know there could be a bit of grit. There could be something that could affect that image on the thirty five mil. Like thirty five mil, it's a moving image rather than it's that kind of like where DCP where you can focus in on one particular scene, whichever part of Tom Hardy you want to pixelate <laughs> in on and, and zoom in on, and it'll be pixel perfect. 
it's it's not a niggle thing but i i agree with you i think just to see on a big screen a big sound system again coming back to what you were saying about moments there's a there's a moment in that film that has stayed with me talking about like with ghost story um it's just sir kenneth branagh sir ken i have to give him his full title every time just watching him react to the arrival of ships it's not a spoiler to say that boats make it to dunkirk it's kind of in history peeps you know it's the history books but that scene and just watching him react it's it's just fantastic and again hey i'm a not only am i chris nolan fanboy i'm a Hans zimmer fanboy you know those things just all perfectly add together to a great film now, just to wrap things up, before I move on to another Bantaflix colleague, I'm going to fire out some questions, and I just want to give, I just want you to give your instant thoughts. Don't think about it too much, but yeah. we'll start off because we did this in the TV show, so I'm just be interested to see what your thoughts are. So, for you this year, Nate, what has been the misconnection? What is the film you wish you'd got a chance to see, but but missed it at the cinema? There's actually a couple we've talked about Mother already, so we'll not go back over that again. Um, but the big one I think, which is making a lot of lists, end of year lists, is Get Out. I didn't see Get Out okay. at all, and I really, really want to catch up with um, catch up with that. Another one, I think it was this year, it was the Girl with All the Gifts that I really wanted to to check out as well. Those are probably the big two. Yeah. Okay, what's been your little hidden gem? What's been the film that no one else has been talking about that you've seen and you've loved? Um, at Belfast Film Festival this year, I saw The Other Side of Hope, um, which was a Finnish uh, comedy, kind of black comedy about a refugee um, coming to try and get a new life in Finland. And it felt very current given everything that's gone on in the world. And it still had a, a lovely humor to it and a dryness and... Um, it's Aki Karasmaki. I think I horribly butchered that name, but um, he was the director of it, and uh, yeah, it it was really really great. And I came away from it really, um, really pleased that I'd taken a punt on something randomly at the festival. And yeah, that's that's definitely it. Okay, uh, moving on to my next question. Um, what's been the biggest disappointment this year? What's the film that's what, what's the film that's let you down, Neil? I think we talked about the superheroes thing, um, and I think that Thor Ragnarok disappointed me. Guardians of the Galaxy two disappointed me. I took the children to see the Emoji movie, and it was just oh nail. I just wanted to bang my head off a wall <laughs> for an hour. Oh nail. Um, so those are probably some of the more disappointing things. I mean. I shouldn't have expected anything from the Emoji movie. I really, really shouldn't. But, I, you know, go into everything with an open mind and sometimes you just want to bang your head off a wall. Yeah. Well, as um, they say in Empire, every before every movie screening, it's Christmas Eve and you're about to get the greatest present <laughs> of all time. And sometimes it's the Emoji movie. Yeah. yeah. No, the Emoji movie is a, a terrible, terrible, terrible... Which, just, which might bring me then nicely to our next question which yeah. disappointment and worst they're two different things i know people always say they're the same thing but what for you what is the worst cinematic experience you've had this year oh hands down the emoji movie <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt i don't even have to wait for that sentence yeah. to finish the emoji movie is horrendous it is just something that they've made up with a load of post-it notes with random 
points on it. it it's just a wall of noise and James Corden being unfunny. Okay, there's nothing uh, nothing new there. Um, before we move on to the last couple of questions, did the kids enjoy it though? I mean, like a lot of adults have been really sniffy about the Emoji Movie, but yeah. you know we're we're not the target audience. Nope. The young younger art, did they like it? Well, for Christmas they they ask for a DVD each and. Um, Christmas this year, our house received a copy of Boss Baby and a copy of Despicable Me 3 Okay. Uh, over the door, and the Emoji Movie didn't get a look in, so I think we've dodged the bullet on that one, thankfully. Happy days. So, yeah, we'll try and keep it that way the best we can, because Boss Baby is bad enough. I, I haven't seen the Emoji Movie, I have seen the Boss Baby, and the Boss Baby isn't great. Um... I, I can't say, like, for me, funny, I rewatched it, you know, talking about kids' films, and know we're kind of going off topic. Sing, this is a film I absolutely loved for everything that it was, and for the person who thought it was going to be a complete cinematic turd when I went in to watch <laughs> it, and find yeah. myself absolutely enjoying it. Although I have not hated a CGI-created mouse stroke rat, whatever Seth MacFarlane is in that film you know i haven't hated a character more this year on the big screen i don't know why i think that says more about me but you know sing if you're looking for films for kids i think sing is a really good punt this year um wrapping things up the last kind of two stroke three questions neil what for you in your opinion anyway what do you think have been at the cinema what is a film that has overachieved that has been lauded much much more than maybe it should have been and what has been the underachiever for you what is the film that you thought was an absolute bona fide five-star classic that just didn't find its audience um i think one that the underachieved for me that people seem to like a lot more um was as he scrolls looking for his notes <laughs> Um, I, I well, really I, I well, I'll be honest. When I did this for the TV show, I've just done. I want a really obvious one that is underachieved. I just want Blade Runner because it's brilliant in every possible way. But so that yeah. that gives you an idea. So so Neil, what for you? Like, I mean, it might be easier to start with the overachiever. So, I mean, what for you, Neil, has been the underachiever? What has been the the overachiever this year for you? What is a film that's been that's been given much more that has been lauded much more than it really befits? And what film have you thought has been a five-star bona fide classic and just hasn't found its audience at the big screen? Yeah, I wasn't that keen on Goodbye, Christopher Robin, um, which we saw. That's because you're dead inside. That's because you're dead inside. Yeah, yeah. that that really didn't do anything for me. And people came out having this really lovely um, emotional experience. And I came out really nothing and going well they're horrible the parents are horrible it's child abuse i don't understand why why people are going isn't that lovely no it's it's rotten to the core that what that what that child had to endure so that's probably the one that i had the complete polar opposite reaction to Um, and one that um yeah i think in in some ways We've we've lauded about it already, but I think Blade Runner is is probably the opposite end of the scale. It is five star cinematic experience, but for whatever reason, it didn't um, pull in certainly in monetary terms um, what they probably thought it would. And in some ways, it's kind of 
it, it kind of has a lovely synergy with the original <laughs> in that regard, which did exactly the same thing and then found a second life years down the line on home release and, and the 557 different versions. Yep. But, the, you know, I I looked at uh, Blade Runner as a just pure cinema experience and um, sound, visual, story, performances, everything, all the boxes were ticked for me. And it, it kind of took me by surprise that it didn't hang around in cinemas as long as I thought it would. I mean, you know, superhero movies can go into a cinema and go for months, some of them, but Blade Runner seemed to come and go within maybe a month, yeah. six weeks, you know? So, um, but I, I just adored it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably it. And last but not least, last but not least, Neil, you might have touched on it. I know I've probably asked you this already, but just kind of because it's on my question list. For you, I know it's Sophie's Choice. But what has been the favourite film of 2017? My absolute favourite, I think, is The Red Turtle. Um, I talked about this on the Christmas listing episode, and I just, I just absolutely adored it. And it's so beautifully drawn and tells such a wonderful story that um, I did say at the start of the year, having seen Moonlight, that it would take a lot to beat Moonlight. I think Moonlight's an exceptional piece of work. Um, but I think the red turtle, just because of the, the profound effect it had on me as I sat and watched it, just really nudges moonlight slightly out of the way. So I'm, I'm going to say the red turtle. Okay, fantastic stuff. Well, Mr. Sedgwick, I shall let you get back to your end of year celebrations. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's my interview with Neil, and we'll move on to one of Banterflix's very own. That, of course, is Gavin Moriarty. Gavin has been writing for the website now for well over a year, and I thought I'd catch up with him to see what he thought of the cinematic year that's been. Shall we begin? (laughs) Okay. Relax, light. You're asleep. You're asleep, and you're... Dreaming of some eight-foot-tall, demon-looking motherfucker. Oh, yes. A dream. I like that. Dreams are places you can have fun, right? It's all in your mind, so why not enjoy it? Shh. Listen. Go and check it out. So that's a clip of Death Note, which I'm sure will crop up as I talk now with uh, one of Banderflix's very own, Gavin Moriarty. Gavin, this is a kind of end of year review show. We're trying to do it slightly different than just a straightforward top 10. 
But if you feel the need to retreat back to a top 10, by all means, go back to that. The safety of that, if you, if you wish. But I, I thought we'd do it slightly differently. So I don't want to do an outright worst film for the year. But I mean, what for you have been the disappointments? If you have a, a, a film that you've hated so much, by all means, far away. But what have been the films that have really left you cold or just really disappointed you after you've come out of your, the, your, the cinema theatre? The one that immediately leaps to mind would be what we saw, or no, you didn't see what me and Jim saw last week, um, Jim uh, McMorrow was Ferdinand, that was like, that was the 3D animated uh, released by Fox, um, just so uninspired, copying left, right and centre from like Pixar, Pixar especially, we bet from Shrek, it was just, you know, I know they, and we talked about this like, you know, are we really the audience for it, but we're not. No, we're not. But Pixar kind of raised the bar so high. It's like they have the decency to make it okay for adults to enjoy these things. Um, and, and Ferdinand was, you know, you couldn't tell that it's based on a, a, a children's book from the 30s because it feels like they've just cribbed from the most recent Pixar stuff. Like I said, Shrek. Maybe a couple of the Disney release things, um, but like Big Hero 6 and stuff like that. But, you know, it really just... Oh, it was just... Oh, it was so crap. And you come out of it, and you laugh at, you know, you you might sort of think of like these kids movies as, you know, silly and whatever, but they do attempt to create a universe and a world. And Ferdinand just doesn't care. It just it tosses out rules, like you know, it sets up these rules, then tosses them out, and it's just, you know, I think if you're like a kid of seven and upwards, you will be ridiculously bored. Well, you're definitely over seven, Gavin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, to break it. You're definitely over seven. <laughs> but I just sort of think because the bar has been raised so high, that's the one that I mean, Ferdinand jumps out to me. I mean, if I, I'm going to maybe controversially say that uh, Thor, <laughs> Ragnarok, was. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I was actually mildly excited about this one because of uh, uh, Taika Waititi, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, really liked Hunt for the Wilder People, really like what we do in the shadows. Uh, it's just that the Marvel formula is kind of so plain for all to see where you have, you know, it's very typical arc. Nobody important really dies. The body's usually not that interesting. Even though they had uh, Kate Blanchett, didn't really kind of, you know, I mean, and there was, there was funny stuff in it, and they got away with the Hulk deck joke, which I can't believe they got away with. But uh, overall, I just sort of think I, it's like I'm, I'm fu- these Marvel movies are not uh, the Disney Marvel I should add although they're going to be all Marvel if this Disney Fox thing goes through um, but they just kind of I, I go to them and I just like I'm just I just come out like I've just had I've eaten a bunch of candy floss and I'm regretting it yeah like I know I know Neil Sedgwick made the same point and I'm, like, I'm the person last year who started to say I was suffering from comic book fatigue I actually tend to agree with you with uh, Thor Ragnarok or Thor Fraggle Rock as I <laughs> called it for, for many months before its release and I think it's more a case of it's not a bad film it's not by any means I think it's a bad film and the Marvel films are very rarely well to clarify like you did the Disney Marvel stuff is very rarely bad yeah. or poorly made but I think I wanted something a little bit more, and I think I made the point um, when we reviewed it on the TV show, like, uh, Taika Waititi, he's a great writer, you've mentioned two films that he wrote and directed, he doesn't have a, a writing credit on this film, he has said a lot of the, 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 the stuff on set was ad-libbed, 
it felt like someone writing for him and that's maybe why it didn't work and I'm maybe nitpicking because it's not to say I didn't enjoy it I just came out of it slightly underwhelmed and that's why I've I've categorized this as disappointments rather than worse because I think it's just it just doesn't I think I wanted to be blown away by Thor Ragnarok and I wasn't it was just as individual as it was I still think it was part of the a cog in the machine yeah. and my problem with it is and I know I'm rambling now I still think the problem Marvel are going to have well it's good that these can they kind of have these kind of uh, as I think the kind of term you'd use in the comic book these deviations these kind of the, let this director do this with Thor or let this director do that with a Hulk whatever they don't seem to know what they want to do with Thor they've tried three different-ish type of films while you look at Captain America the Captain America stuff is the Marvel stuff I've really enjoyed because they have an arc for that character they have a clear approach that what they want to do with Captain America and I think that's why he's someone I find in the comics really boring but I think they've made they've somehow managed to make him a really interesting character within the cinematic universe I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, again, just to stress, like Ferdinand is in a different league. It's just bad, <laughs> but uh, with Thor, it, you're kind of you're right. I mean, it's like the Disneyification. It's really just it's a money making machine where they can't really stray too far outside that little sandbox that they've created. And it's, I mean, they are very watchable movies. I, I actually, I would maybe disagree slightly with with the Thor thing and that. I, I don't mind that they've taken him as a comedy. I don't mind that they've... I know they've, they've sort of decided on that one now. Um, but I kind of like that. Because uh, I like Hemsworth. I think he's got good comic chops on him. Um, but I, I, I just sort of think that... The other ones have, you know, Iron Man and... Particularly Iron Man, but also Captain America. They have much more solid... You kind of know... You kind of, from day one, they've kind of known what they wanted to do with them. With Thor, like you said, they've sort of chopped and changed a wee tiny bit. Um, but then, but then you know, it, it's just very hard to to get worked up for me to get worked up about a Disney Marvel movie. I'm much more, you know, intrigued about well, for for however long it's going to last. What twenty? What Fox are doing with their you know bunch of mutants? But um, I just can't. Uh, I yeah, I just come out sort of somewhat feeling flat about those movies. You know, um, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I agree. Look, I'm the person... I, I'm going to be repeating myself through because the way we're doing this end-of-year show this year by interviewing different members of the Bantaflix team. My favourite film for this year is a superhero film. I'm the hypocrite, but that's the joy of being a film critic. You can be a hypocrite. I'm the person who says he's suffering from comic book fatigue, but yet Logan is still, for me, my favourite film of the year because it's something as a 35-year-old cinema goer and comic book fan. I wouldn't say nerd. I'm a comic book fan. That's what I want. I want a bit of R-rated violence. I want a film that has depth to it, that that take risks. And uh, that's what I got with Logan. And I said at the time it was flawless. I've begrudgingly maybe said it has flaws since. But that's what I want. I, I was the person that didn't like Deadpool when it came out. I thought Deadpool was just more of the same, but just with, with dick jokes. Logan was what I wanted when someone said to me, there is a definition of an R-rated comic book movie. Yeah, they tricked everybody into thinking it was a comic movie, but they actually made a western. Though I, the, the, the what Logan, I think I admire Logan for the ambition of just going out to make this movie that wasn't for kids. That was pushing the boundaries of what what we sort of well, not I mean, it's not like they hadn't made or rated comic book movies like Blade springs to mind, but it's with a character that had been kids that essentially grown up with and they were like okay it's time to make this proper you know wolverine movie now you're right it's not it's not perfect um 
I'm still dubious. Uh, so I'm dubious, sort of, you know, that that whole thing with clone Wolverine. I just, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think they could have maybe done something a wee bit different. Um, but I know I would say overall, like it would not, it wouldn't be my favorite. I think I would probably put Blade Runner 2049 above it. Um, well, you're going to preempt yourself if you carry on. This has been your favorite film of the year, but well, I shall let you go on. Well, 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 um, the, well, the favorite. I mean, you know. With Blade Runner 2049, nobody, I would say nobody went to see it, but it did underperformed, I think it's safe to say, and it was rather disappointing because the critics loved it. Uh, audiences who went to see it, interestingly enough, came out with like, you know, A-plus a scores and A's, and so I think, unfortunately, it just, I think maybe people were put off by the original, um, possibly. I don't know, because they hadn't seen it, maybe, and I'm, I got, I'm, I know you don't agree with me, but I find the original boring. Um, a very interesting to look at, but just, I got, I, I could sleep through it. But this one was different because it was like, it's like you have Ryan Gosling as the Rutger Hauer character, except, you know, he's gotten unlimited, you know, he can, he's not in the race against time to, you know, extend his life or his want, is wanting to extend his life. Uh, and you just sort of, I don't know, I just thought it was a really well done, properly good sci fi movie that had. It had meaning behind it. It had a real sort of. It had a world that you feel like you could touch. It wasn't all this green screen nonsense. But I'm sure they did use green screen. But I am. It looked like they were using a lot of real sets. Uh, it was just what I want from a blockbuster. I don't want green screen. I don't want, you know, crappy CGI characters. <laughs> Even though Thor had a funny crappy CGI character, but uh, it was just. It, 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 it's the my favorite blockbuster. But my favorite. And I, I'll, I'll very quickly controversially because we talked about Death Note. So I insert. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Sorry. So Death Note. Death Note. For I mean, for people who don't know, it was based on uh, on a manga, and uh, and also there was a very popular uh, thirty six episode anime series or something like that. It was in maybe thirty two, thirty six. Um, it was really good. I enjoyed it. I'm a fan of that. Um, but for it would seem like a lot of people online who were fans of the original, the anime in particular, hated the movie. As did I. I see. I'm a big fan. I know, and I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the Adam Wingard defense. I think he's brilliant. I think that he has this sort of sensibility that is, you know, he clearly loves the '80s, as you can tell from the soundtrack. <laughs> and but I think he has a real affection for like. I spotted like I spotted like cribs from like Nightmare on Elm Street Four, just from and Rennie Harlan directed that. People forget that. Um, it's a really well directed movie, uh, and I think Wingard. I just sort of. I thought he made a movie that I think people have misunderstood, and I and this is my maybe it's my hope rather than belief, but a couple of years down the line, maybe maybe more, maybe like ten, people might appreciate it a bit more because there were things in that like there was there's there's images in that like you know the thing that sticks out for me, given the current climate in America, there was one shot. That's why I think there's more going on than people give it credit for. There was one shot where you had the Keith Stanfield, you know, in a in a hoodie. And there was this American fag billowing in the background, and I just kind of thought, you know, there's a lot that imagery. I think it's loaded. I just think there was a lot more going on than people give it credit for. I really like Willem Dafoe as well, um, and I, I quite liked um, the actress who played Mia. Oh, his name escapes me, but she's in the leftovers. Um, so, yeah, no, I. It's not so. I'm gonna give. I know you disagree, but I, Death Note would greatly. Make, I disagree greatly. Death Note would make my top five, but my favorite, if I were to get on to my favorite, and my, I'm pretty sure nobody's picked this, it would be, um, it would be Loving by uh, Mr. Jeff Nichols. Um, yeah, you've mentioned it because I know you've you've got a review up on the website for us, and I know you've talked about this in the past with the podcast about this film. I 
I, I do like loving. I don't love it maybe as much as you, but then maybe it's that that kind of dreaded when someone builds something up for you, and then it just you go, it's good, it's solid. Joel Edgerton is great in that film. Um, yeah, I, I do like loving. Coming back to to Death Note, I take everything you say on board. As you know, I'm someone who loves Adam Wingard. I love the guest. I love your next. Uh, I maybe. I try to like Blair Witch as much as I possibly can, but Death Note was just, it was a film, a really good Adam Wingard, a stylish film, but it was a film that just didn't really get the source material. It didn't, it kind of, I don't want to go as far as say like kind of whitewashing it in the kind of same sense of uh, Ghost in the Shell and stuff like that, but it, it, it was Adam, it was an Adam Wingard film with the characters of, of Death Note. It didn't feel like a Death Note film, but that's just me. But look, we've, we've talked about that. I kind of took the mic away from you when you started to talk about loving. <coughs> what was it about loving that you love so much? Excuse the pun. Loving, loving, yeah. Lo- I mean, I think well, you mentioned to me, you saw the trailer and you thought, oh, it looks like one of those sort of Oscar bait movies. And I, I hadn't seen the trailer going into it. I knew really very little about it. I just knew it was Jeff Nichols. And I sort of was somewhat disappointed after Midnight Special because I think it was a film we probably should have loved, you know, in terms of all the Carpenter references and stuff, but it just, that movie didn't quite click. Uh, so you're kind of sort of going in like, oh, I'm wondering if he's, you know, is, is this a return to form? I thought it was a return to form. I thought, I think what I like most about it is is that you have an Irish actress in there and an Australian, and if you didn't know... You know, Ruth Negga is just um, um, unbelievably brilliant in it and well-deserved Oscar nom. I think she probably should have won it. Um, but it was never going to happen because I think Meryl was Meryl up that year. Um, I can't remember who won it, for that, but but I don't. I know she didn't win. But I... <laughs> you're thinking, I don't... Yeah, I don't... I can't remember. Nearly certain it's Emma Stone won Emma best, Stone. best Actress for La La Land. It was, it was La La Land. Yeah, you're right. Um, but, you know, so you have an Australian and an Irish person and... You, for, you could, if you didn't know, you were like you would swear they were from the area, just from from the accent uh, and the sense of place. Like it almost, you know, and it's not to under sort of maybe suggest it's boring anyway, but it almost feels like a documentary. They're just it's, the characters feel real and lived in, and it's kind of shot in a very not not sort of Oscar bitty way. It's just very low key, um, and I just thought. You know, it's a really simple story, but I think it's a story that resonates very strongly with now because the gist of the story is is that they flout uh, these sort of anti-miscegenation laws, and this is like in the fifties, and so it's not really not very fairly recent history, and it's in Virginia, um, and so they have to leave. The, they're basically have to leave the state, but they end up coming back to fight their case, and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and it's. You know, it is the David Goliath sort of story, but it's just, it's so beautifully done, and it's just so low-key. There's no sort of grand sweeping orchestra moments. It's just really low-key. And I thought, for my money, it, it, it's the one that sticks out. And I don't think anybody else was going to pick it, because I think maybe it's maybe passed people by, or maybe people just sort of saw it and just kind of liked it. I kind of thought it was more important than that. But I, but it just, it struck a chord with me. Um so no, that loving would be my, and it's out in DVD. I would recommend it. I just think it's a lovely, beautiful film. I thought it was great. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think it's for me. It's a it's a solid four out of five film. I, I don't maybe love it as much as you do. Um, but I will say this. I know it's it's it, it's slightly different in the kind of subject matter that it discusses. 
but I find it much more accessible than say something like Mudbound, which is out on Netflix yeah. now. Which I I just I, I've sat through it twice. I've seen it on a big screen. I've watched it at home. I just don't like because I think it's it's a it's a it's another one of those adaptations. I'm going to come to this um, that that clings the source material like a wet blanket. Yeah. Um, You've kind of preempted me. We, I had a little list, Gavin. I had my, you know, disappointments. Uh, I had my overachiever, underachiever. You've kind of went with your underachiever, which is Blade Runner. I haven't, I haven't got round to asking your favourite. You've just given me that. So I'm going to come back to that. You've mentioned your underachiever for the year. What do you think has been the film that is that has overachieved this year? That has maybe done much, much better than maybe what you expected it to be. <laughs> but better than I expected. I'm about to say Star Wars. So. I do um better than I expect. Well, I mean, if if I'm going to go with better than I expected, I would definitely say Blade Runner, in the sense that I didn't like the original, and you know this. Uh, I think it's hugely boring. Um, but I I came in with low expectations. Maybe that was key. But whenever you know critics were raving about it, but I think maybe I secretly knew it was always going to be great because Denis Villeneuve has. I don't think he's made a bad film. I think he knocks it out of the park every time. Uh, you know, I loved Arrival. I thought Arrival was great. Uh, Amy Adams should have won an Oscar. Didn't even get nominated. Uh, so yeah, but she should have won for a different film. What? No, Nocturnal, Nocturnal Animals. Animals. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not gonna get. We're not gonna go down um, in that old chestnut. But uh, I think I don't know. I mean, I had so I because I have no attachment really to the original. I was just surprised at. This $150 million movie, everything's up on screen. The performances are to a fault. Just They're just brilliant. Um, I mean, Ryan Gosling's great. Harrison Ford, I think, in any other... If it was a different genre movie, he'd be up for an Oscar for supporting actor. I thought he, was, I thought he just put in a really sort of low-key but lovely kind of performance. Um, very emotional you know, performance. It's not something you really associate with Ford. Um, but... You know, I, I, people complain about Jared Leto. I, I can maybe understand that. I think that's like Jared Leto in like thirty years. So I'm okay. I'm you know. So that one, that one was so much better than I expected because I had such low expectations for it. And I, and I, I'm, I'm. I think it's a shame that you know, where Thor is make, raking in a ton of money and looks like Star Wars is going to do the same. That Blade Runner has relative. You know, it's a box office dud. You'd have to say. Um, I just thought. That was art. It was like it was. It was like it was an, a real artistic statement. And how many directors are really working in that sort of field? You know, Nolan probably, with you know Dunkirk. I think was probably going to crop up in some for some people. Um, but he's in a, he's in a, a, a list of directors that I would regard to be elite. And that, and that that list is maybe only like four or five. Scorsese and Fincher are probably in there too. Okay, because so then you're you're kind of people accuse me of being a hypocrite. You know, <laughs> so not. Not only then you are kind of putting Blade Runner twenty four to nine, not only as your underachiever for the year, but also as your overachiever over of the year for you personally. For me personally, for yeah. your overachiever, because it's too easy to say the best and worst. But for the for for you know Ferdinand's definitely up there for the worst. But um, no, for 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 underachiever and overachiever, Blade Runner just I think I think it pips it because I I, I think there's some people who I think. For fans of the original, I think they got a movie better than they were expecting. And because I wasn't a fan of the original, I really wasn't... You know, I say about Villeneuve, but again, like, everybody has their bad days, but I just thought he, again... Really, I thought he upped his game. I mean, I, I can't wait for... If he does June, I can't wait for that. Um, you know, 
I think that'll be a, a, a tougher prospect even than, than Blade Runner. But I, yeah, no, Blade Runner 2049 would be my under and over tier of the year, I think. Okay, because, I mean, I've talked about this already with Neil Sedgwick, you know, I'm the person that up until the point I sat my bum in the cinema seat didn't think there needed to be a sequel to Blade Runner. <laughs> so I'm not going to repeat myself for listeners yeah. here. Um, I did like it. I liked it a lot. I liked it much more than I thought I was. And I, it's how the fact that it managed to be a sequel to, to not just Blade Runner, but all those uh, various cuts of Blade Runner, which I think is very, very clever. But I've already kind of went off on that before. We will not subject the listeners to that again. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, we're coming to the kind of the point. You've kind of said you went out there already, and you've said your favorite. And I know you you're, you have to rush. You've got to go see Star Last Wars. Jedi. So we've kind of to to give you the space to to give like a film like Loving as your favorite film of the year. I kind of moved the category and said, what has been your favorite blockbuster? What has been the the film like? Whether you want to go and be a complete glutton and put Blade Runner in there as well, what for you has been the big blockbuster that Hollywood has produced this year that you've really loved? Does Death Note count? <laughs> no, we're not talking about Death Note no, again. I would probably, I'd say, I'd probably be boring. I mean, I, I could say Blade Runner again, but I, I think I would go Logan because I think, you know, was it that was it was it did it gross more than Deadpool? Did it? It was very good. Maybe it didn't, but I, you know, I think Logan was a movie that I really wanted and I was satisfied. You know what I mean? Where there's where you go in, you're really excited, and it lived up to the expectations, and it did. You know, it's not, like you said, it's not perfect, but I just sort of thought Mangold and and Jackman. I thought it was just I love. I mean, again, we're talking about and I talked talk about Blade Runner having a good ending. Ending to Logan was. Oh my god! I mean, that was it was a real tearjerker. That was just it was really, really well done, and yeah, and I thought Daphne Keane, the who played Laura, the little girl, you know, maybe we might not get to see her again if Disney take over. Um, what am I saying? If probably when Disney take over, um, uh, these antitrust laws aren't probably going to help. But um, so yeah, no, I, I Logan would be my my blockbuster of the year. Rather boringly, I would say. Not boring at all. Um, well, we should leave it there. You have got to go see Star, Wars. Star Wars. Thank you very much, Cam. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. So that's my interview with Gavin, and that pretty much brings this podcast to a close. I uh, hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, thank you to both our contributors. And all that's left for me to really say is uh, I wish you all a happy new year. We'll be back in 2018 with not only more podcasts, but a new series of the TV show. But for now, until then, goodbye.